Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered from Reality podcast. I hope uh, hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Hope you got nice and stuffed like a turkey, and you stayed safe and sane. You know, it's Thanksgiving's always kind of a double-edged sword. It's always fun to eat and relax and be merry and blah, 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 but I know for some people it's also, I don't know, not a particularly fun time as well. So I always try to keep that dichotomy in my head, but anyways, had a quite nice Thanksgiving here. Ate well, had the mother visit, and yeah, just enjoying the dark, dreary cold of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, before we get into the main topics, today I want to talk about Trump's uh, dinner from hell with um, anti-Semites, Holocaust deniers, Kanye West, and Milo Yiannopoulos, who interned for Marjorie Taylor Greene. That was his last job. He's a troll, a flamethrower, a garbage as a human being in a lot of ways. But Trump had all of them. He had Nick Fuentes over, Holocaust denier, anti-Semite, racist, white supremacist, all the fun in one guy. So that was what happened in Mar-a-Lago. Trump's trying to walk that back. I want to talk about protests in China and what that means for the Qi regime, what it means for the CCP in general, and more. And I also want to talk about the Iranian team and Iran as a country, kind of in a bit of a beef with the U.S. soccer team. And... Yeah, just kind of see where all of those conversations go. But first, airlines are a mess, again. <laughs> and I just wanted to touch on it because I had a, a family member have a first, first-hand experience with it, and I have seen that basically Congress is really watching what's happening over the holidays because they want to bring the hammer down if airlines keep canceling, delaying flights, and causing chaos and not giving refunds as they should. And right now, lawmakers are furious. I saw that some senators are calling on Pete Buttigieg, who obviously runs the transportation agencies, to basically put the hammer down because these airlines are predatory and just kind of basically doing high-speed robbery against uh, American consumers. And so, again, it looks like it's been a pretty chaotic Thanksgiving. We're obviously going into Christmas. I have the luxury of flying back west in about a week. So I'm going to get to experience all that firsthand, which is always fun. But, you know, I was talking to my mom because she came out here for Thanksgiving. And, of course, they overbooked her flight and then kicked her from her uh, flight without even giving her the option to not do that. And so she got to pretty much spend like a whole 15 hours in the airports. She had three flights just to get to Chicago, which just shouldn't be the case. I told her she might as well have just flown to Italy because it's actually quicker um, to fly to Italy than that flight. She had to go to Utah, spend like three hours there, go to Atlanta from Reno, spend three hours there. She said she saw sunsets, sunrises, finally got into Chicago at like 10 a.m., exhausted on Thanksgiving Day, made it, but it, you know, kind of ruined her whole Thanksgiving because she's sleep deprived. And, you know, the airlines, they oversell these seats. They expect some people will cancel, and if they don't, they make your life a living hell, basically. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's good to see that more scrutiny is on the airlines in general. I'm a capitalist, as you guys know, but I think there's also a problem with predatory practices and just taking advantage of consumers to make money. The airlines are guilty of all of that, and after what we saw over the summer and what we've seen now, I think it's time for lawmakers and Mr. Pete Buttigieg, who I'm very mixed if I like him or not. Sometimes I think what he does is good. Other times, not enough. I think in this case, he could be doing more. And I think these airline companies need to be held more accountable, which, of course, they probably won't because that's just not how things ever work out. Maybe I'm just cynical, but yeah. And, you know, on another side note, while we're on air travel, I guess last Monday, 
at the start of one of the busiest travel weeks of the year, right? Officials said that this person basically was charged with assault after he held a razor near the throat of another passenger on a flight from New York to Salt Lake City. That sounds like a good time, right? I like to have razors held at me at 30,000 feet. And it happened, like I said, on Monday. The person, of course, big shocker, was drunk, had several alcoholic beverages on the flight, and he used his hand to try to block the screen of a woman who was watching a movie in the seat next to him. And when she didn't pause the movie, he held the razor to her. I don't know what she was watching that really triggered him, but like, Jesus, man, like, I don't know about you guys, but I like to read or watch something on a flight. I don't know if I need someone holding a razor to me next to me. Um, I haven't heard about that one before. Must be a real control freak, but yeah, in all seriousness, it just seems like there's a lot of crazy people out there. Airlines seem to make it worse. I know people are stressed, then they drink, then they get aggressive, apparently in this case. The razor got on there. That also makes me kind of worry about airport security, that the razor got on there. I mean, I guess, I don't actually know. I'm not very smart on these topics, but I don't know if you could actually bring a, bring a razor in your carry bag. I guess you could, because like, I'm trying to think I've traveled and I've been able to shave when I, because I, I usually just do carry on and I've been able to shave when I get to a destination. So I guess you can bring razors on, but yeah, fun times. So if you're traveling over the coming Christmas holidays or, you know, Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate, uh, yeah, be, be ready for crazies. Try to keep your cool. Don't be this guy. Don't hold razors. That, if that's anything we can take from this, um, you will be prosecuted if you hold a razor to someone's neck. I don't know if you needed me to tell you that, but anyways, yeah, lots of airline shit show fun right now. So yeah, I'm excited for my, my trip in about a week, so wish me luck. Anyways, moving on to the first main thing I want to talk about today. While people like my mom had a crazy travel experience and flights were delayed, our old friend uh, Donald Trump had a pretty controversial, or I guess you could even say problematic, is the best way probably to put it, dinner at Mar-a-Lago on the night before Thanksgiving. So that was Tuesday, or it was Wednesday, I guess, on whatever day Thanksgiving was, I don't even care, but he basically had an event at Mar-a-Lago, and you know, kind of a little side note before we get into this is, it seems like Mar-a-Lago's a mess, like people just kind of come and go and walk in, it seems like a circus, like you hear time and time again about how Mar-a-Lago just seems to like kind of let anyone in the door, I mean, you had Chinese diplomats and Chinese intelligence people hanging out there, you have apparently white supremacists coming in, Kanye West, Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos, as we'll get into, it just seems like Mar-a-Lago's would be very interesting to go to. Maybe sometime I'll have to just see if I can walk in and see what's happening, see who you can meet. Um, sounds like just a, I mean, a basket of deplorables if you want to really get at it. But another reason why those classified documents probably shouldn't be at Mar-a-Lago when you have just crazy people coming in and out. But we're not going to talk about the special counsel today. Maybe we'll get into that tomorrow or the next day. But anyways... Donald Trump had an event with some pretty troubling and hateful people, and of course he's denied it as much as he can. But anyways, New York Magazine writes in quotes here, Former President Donald Trump is continuing to face backlash after hosting and dining with a notorious white supremacist and avowed anti-Semite Nick Fuentes at his Mar-a-Lago estate on Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Trump, who recently announced his 2024 presidential campaign, has since both acknowledged and downplayed the dinner and distanced himself from Fuentes, according to sources. Now, I must just add before I continue, um, Trump always seems to do this. Like, he's not honest enough to actually sit back and say, like, this person was here, it was a bad idea. So he'll kind of admit it, and then he'll also walk it back and say, but I, you know, whatever, it's not a, not a big deal. 
and it just seems to be his thing. Like, it's getting a bit old, but again, like, the access, you know, grabber by the you-know-what tape, he got away with that. He got away with the, the you know, Charlottesville, uh, good people on both sides thing. He got away with stand back and stand by about the Proud Boys. You know, he kind of gets away with most things. So he probably will with this. But anyways, like, come on, man. We all know you must know Nick Fuentes. And, it, and even if you didn't, like, why? I know he's a narcissist, but for someone who really cares what other people thinks, he tries to act like he doesn't know any of these people. Anyways, the article continues. It says in quotes here, On the night of Tuesday, November 22nd, Trump hosted Kanye West and three others, including Fuentes, for dinner at the Mar-a-Lago Resort and Estate in Florida. And I guess Ye or Ye or Kanye or West, or I, I like to call him just crazy man. But anyways, I guess... He also posted what we're going to call a debriefing after the event because we were all waiting, waiting in bated breath to see what, what he had to say. But after the event, Kanye speaks with uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, who, you know, he's, he's really done the tour of insanity. You know, he was first gay, now said he was cleansed of his gayness, I guess you could say. Then he was interning for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Then he was like injecting himself with, forget what it was. I think it was ivermectin, like high levels because he had COVID. He's really done a lot. He's he's really um, done the rounds, let's just say, of craziness. And anyways, back to the debriefing. Milo's kind of standing in the background. I recommend watching the video. And apparently he's going to run Kanye's presidential campaign. And kind of the fun thing I forgot to mention is that Kanye, I guess, was at Mar-a-Lago to try to get Trump to run with him. I guess Kanye would be president and Trump would be VP. That's quite a ticket. Sadly enough, like if they ran together, I don't even know if they would do that bad. I mean, Kanye did awful back in 2020. I remember I covered that on the old podcast. He didn't get that many votes. He was late to register in certain states. Like it was a shit show. I do remember seeing it on the ballot, I believe, in California, if my memory serves me correctly. But yeah, I mean, Trump... West or West Trump 2024 would be unique, troubling. I would not want Kanye even near the nuclear codes or just meeting with world leaders in general. I bet Benjamin Netanyahu would love to meet with uh, Kanye. But anyways, apparently <laughs> Kanye, the, the, the controversy started because Kanye claimed that Trump was really impressed with Fuentes. Kanye also talks about Fuentes and says that, in quotes, unlike so many of the lawyers and so many people that he left with us on his 2020 campaign, Fuentes is actually a loyalist. Lovely. I like to hear Fuentes is a loyalist. Good news. First off, not good look for Kanye. This guy's an anti-Semite, Holocaust denier. I've already said it all. Um, so, you know, Kanye is now associating with this guy. Troubling. Fuentes is a garbage human being. I don't say those things lightly. You know, he's a probably the most prominent white supremacist in, supremacist in the country. Staunch America first nationalist. Probably wouldn't surprise you guys he's racist. You know, condones violence, stop the steal guy. But it's apparently he's now allied with Kanye. Trump, of course, apparently has said on social media that he likes Kanye because Kanye is nice to him and says good things about him. Very Trumpy. I, I don't even know. Um, now, since all of this happened, Trump and others in his orbit have basically been pretty milk toast per usual about this event. They have acknowledged, again, that the three people were there. They've also said that they're 
<laughs> Not sure who Fuentes is. But of course, that New York uh, Magazine article notes and quotes here, unnamed Trump world sources who have spoken with Axios, Politico, and the New York Times all claim that Trump really did not know who Fuentes was. Now, I must say, Marjorie Taylor Greene spoke at that awful white nationalist rally. Oh, it was probably halfway through 2022. And she too spoke at it and then claimed she was unaware of Nick Fuentes, who runs the event when he spoke at the conference. You know, I don't know about you guys again, but like if I was going to speak at something, especially something <laughs> seems quite problematic, I would probably want to know where I'm speaking before I do it. It's a bit fishy to me. And I, I, I guess my thoughts would be that people like Trump and Green seem to operate in circles that overlap with people like Fuentes. Again, I'm not going to blatantly say Trump is like an ally of Fuentes, but, you know, Green's talked about Jewish space lasers and has kind of danced with Holocaust denial, Christian nationalism. Trump as well. I remember he said a couple months ago, something I didn't cover because I was off for a few weeks, where he talked about he's done so many good things for the Jews and they better accept him before it's too late or, and they'll pay the consequences. Like, there's some overlap in these circles. And so... Even if Trump doesn't know this guy, I think he knows this guy. And also Fuentes is prominent on social, on, on not social media, on Truth Social. Big Stop the Steel guy and supports, supports almost every conspiracy that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Trump agree with. So I, I just find it all hard to believe, right? Either Trump is just downplaying this dinner like he does with so many things. Or, I, I mean, I guess you could, you could say his security and PR people are just bad because they let anyone in the building. But it also seems like Trump wants attention. He likes to meet with these high-profile people, right? He's out of the White House. He still likes to get people talking about him. I think this was maybe just uh, an issue of his own creation that he, at the time, thought was not a bad idea. Now, I also think it's interesting that the Republican governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, who I quite like, he's one of the first people that actually called this out and said it was clearly no accident. I would probably agree with him. He was on State of the Union on CNN over the weekend, and he noted that it couldn't have been a coincidence. He said in quotes, you can have accidental meetings. Things like that have happened, but this was not an accidental meeting. Of course, you know, now I would just be fair, and I'm not trying to be too fair to Trump here, but probably I would think that he meant to meet with Kanye West, maybe didn't meet to have Nick Fuentes there, and because Trump likes to be attacked and likes to just double down, he probably is just doubling down on not knowing him. Like, I, I would not be surprised if it wasn't a plan to bring Fuentes there, but of course Trump was probably fine with it. Hutchinson also added, of course, that it's not a good idea for a leader that's setting an example for the country or a party to meet with an avowed racist or anti-Semite. It's very troubling, he said. We need to avoid these kinds of empowering the extreme type of moments. When you meet with people, you empower, and that's what you have to avoid. You want to diminish their strength, not empower them. Stay away from them. I agree. I agree. Of course, that's not what Trump's thing is. He's empowered nutbags for years now, and probably this thing will go down the same way. You know... It's been telling that a lot of people haven't really been too loud about this. Like Chris Christie has said some things. Mike Pence has said some things. But generally, I think we're going to see that same phenomenon where people stay kind of quiet. But then if they're asked specifically, they're like, yeah, it was bad. But there's just the cowardice that I've so far seen. And it's not good. Of course, Bill Cassidy also called it out. I think he's a Louisiana senator, if I'm not mistaken. I like him. But of course, he voted to impeach Trump the second time. So, yeah. <laughs> or convict, because it was in the Senate. And I don't know. It's a nightmare. Of course, we need to also just mention we have the runoff coming up in Georgia, right? 
And apparently, I just see it's breaking as as we're recording, which so I'm not, I don't know enough about the story to really dive into, but apparently Trump is too busy meeting with Kanye West, and he's not going to be going to Georgia to campaign for Herschel Walker. Um, that bums me out, to be completely honest. I want Trump to go to Georgia and campaign for Herschel Walker because last time he was in Georgia for a runoff, he told people not to vote, not to trust the system, and we got Raphael Warnock and Ossoff. So <laughs> maybe we want Trump to go to Georgia and campaign for Herschel Walker, say some bullshit on the air, all that fun jazz, you know what I mean? So, like, I would like to see that happen. But if I were... I guess if I was the Georgia Republican Party and the Republican senators and Mitch McConnell, I'd probably be celebrating the fact that Trump is not going down to Georgia as of now. But you have to also wonder, Trump likes attention, so maybe he still does down. But, yeah, this is fun, isn't it? Really fun. Like, I'm also terrified about the Walker-Warnock thing, but we'll probably talk about that later in the week. But I just wanted to mention that before we keep going, because it's always entertaining to see if... Trump can actually help or completely hurt something like this. Anyways, moving on, we're going to get out of the U.S. because <laughs> there's not a lot of great news in the U.S. right now. Not that there's great news around the world, but let's just get into China. I talked about China last week, but before that, we've not really touched on China too much. As I'm sure all of you are aware, I do not agree with what China's doing with COVID. From the beginning, I didn't like it because I'm kind of a small D Democrat and I like liberalism and libertarianism and smaller government. So I don't like governments um, basically locking people in their houses because of COVID. I didn't like it at the beginning. It's one of the reasons why I left Spain at the beginning, because I don't like government keeping that many restrictions on people. I like to go on a run without being told I'm going to get a $600 ticket by the Spanish police, right? I understand at the time that people were worried. It made more sense then. I can actually give like Spain and the U.S. a little bit more credit for being nervous and not knowing what to expect. But now it's, it's a couple years later and this thing spreads and it's less deadly and it's everywhere. So China's zero COVID BS is problematic <laughs> to say the least. And it looks like finally it's really backfiring on a nationwide scale because COVID, again, is booming in China. I believe if the numbers were correct, what I was looking at this morning, it's one of their biggest outbreaks yet in the whole pandemic. And now, again, you could, I, I think it depends on how you want to quantify this and how you want to discuss about this, because just because you have a shit ton more cases than earlier in the pandemic does not particularly mean the pandemic is worse than ever before. Let's remember some of these new variants and subvariants are more transmissible, less deadly. I know I've said this a million times. It doesn't mean that the pandemic is worse, but now based on how China has quantified this entire pandemic, to them it probably does seem like it's worse because from day one, the Chinese have basically said like, we need zero cases, so if we have a few cases, that's worse than zero. And so they pretty much have based their entire reaction to COVID on cases. And I think it's the wrong way to do it. I've thought it's the wrong way to do it from day one, and they are keeping to do that. And it's becoming kind of an authoritarian nightmare, a human rights nightmare and becoming actually a nightmare for the authoritarian government that's created this nightmare. So, of course, people know because of these zero COVID policies, they've made it, I mean, there's been some bad ramifications. The population's angry because, remember, the Chinese government from day one has basically said, You're, if you give up some human rights, at least we'll kind of protect and create stability and we'll bring wealth. And for a while, that was working. But the problem is, is that now... No one has immunity. Lockdowns are strict. 
people are starving, the economy is worse than it's been in a long time, and herd immunity is not feasible. So now every time COVID hits, when you get tens of thousands of cases, it's a problem. And China's logged now more than 30,000 cases of COVID, which is a daily record. Also, it gets even worse when about half of people in China aged over 80 and above have received their primary vaccinations. Only half. Can you imagine if we had those numbers in a lot of Western Europe, how many people could die? And I guess fewer than 20% of people over 80 have had a booster. Fewer than 60% of the 60 to 90, sorry, to 60, 69 age group are fully vaccinated. And to be realistic, I actually understand why the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, would actually want to do these lockdowns because your population is not actually prepared. And vaccines like the Sinovac are not great. And of course, the Chinese have not really looked at getting doses of Pfizer or Moderna, AstraZeneca, other vaccines that have come out, maybe even like the Novavax, which is an actual non-mRNA one. The Chinese are not doing that out of pride. And now you have a population that's vulnerable and unvaccinated and with, or with a weak vaccine. So of course, actually, on a realistic level, I could understand why you would keep the country locked down. It's not me defending it, but they've created a nightmare scenario. And to me, it seems like there's really not a way out of this. But due to these factors, back to kind of, sorry, I'm ranting here, but back to these factors. So if you have a person or a few people in a neighborhood test positive, they shut, this, shut it all down. And after these new rounds of lockdowns, there's reports from The Economist that talks about areas that are responsible for a fifth of the country's entire GDP are now under some form of a lockdown. And that's not good because already the economy in China has detracted and things could get worse. Um, you have to think that a lot of the inflationary issues right now are probably linked to this as well. Of course, the Russian war and all this other stuff has not helped, but yeah, it's problematic. So with my ranting and context aside here, massive protests are going on in China right now after these lockdowns, these recent lockdowns, and after some events that have kind of gone all over the news, and it's understandable. And they are somewhat unprecedented because usually the Chinese government is pretty good at quelling protests. But in this case, there's a unified agenda throughout the country, and it seems like there's almost a sense of purpose among those protests and those protesting and what they want. And if I was the Chinese government, just a little little spoiler, I guess, I would say I'd be worried. And instead of being isolated, these are growing. The BBC has a good article that discusses how these protests have basically spread to most of China's largest cities. Just to name a few, we'll say Beijing and Shanghai, just because those are the ones I think a lot of the Western audience would be more aware of, right? And from my understanding, <laughs> there's a, I mean, I'm not to sound insensitive, but one of the literal fuels to the fire for these protests was an apartment building fire that basically led to death. And it was mainly because lockdown restrictions made safety issues happen in this apartment building and people couldn't get out. If you look online or on the news, you'll see videos of this building burning, water trying to get to it, not reaching it. And a lot of people are pissed, just thoroughly pissed, because it seems like lockdown procedures cause deaths. And I don't know about you guys, but... I would rather be able to get out of my apartment than be locked down from COVID to protect myself in quotes because I, th I have enough personal agency to probably know that I would stay home if I was super sick. I don't know if I need someone bolting my door shut. So if there's a fire, I'm stuck or fumes get up there or law enforcement or first responders can't get to me. It's insane. 
But anyways, um, the AP writes in quotes here, a fire in an apartment building in northwestern China's Yanjing region killed 10 people and injured nine. Authorities said this on Friday, and this was amid stringent lockdowns that have left many residents in the area stuck in their homes for more than three months. Pretty fucking boodle. I'm sorry, excuse my language, but it is. And like I've said, when someone tests positive, Chinese officials keep you in your apartment. In this case, apparently emergency exits were not accessible, if you want to use that word. And yeah, there were literal barriers for people so that they couldn't get out of the building. And some people died of asphyxiation, burn injuries, etc. And that's problematic to me. This is like, <laughs> I don't know, if this is not a perfectly fitting but depressing symbol for the problem with these lockdown issues, I don't know what is, but basically the government is worried about stopping this highly transmissible virus instead of keeping its people safe. And I think for the first time we have seen the Chinese population go, enough is enough here. Of course it's younger students. That's why they're trying to now close universities and send students home because all you have, if you know anything about history or global dynamics, most protests that turn into maybe something else usually are on college campuses, right? And so, of course, the Chinese government is trying to close universities for a while. Students are mad. But yeah, it sounds like the, co the social contract that the Chinese government has with their citizens involving, okay, you're going to give up some human rights and some of your personal liberties in exchange for stability and protection and economic growth. And when those things go out the door, people are mad and they are going out the door, or in this case not going out the door because you're locked in your apartment because you have a virus that everyone else is trying to move on from. And this AP article goes on discussing how, in quotes here, Jane Jing has been under harsh lockdowns for over three months, three months, Jesus, to combat the spread of the coronavirus under China's zero COVID policy. The country has grappled with a wave of recent cases, causing rolling lockdowns and rigid travel restrictions affecting hundreds of millions of people, end quotes. And one person said, <laughs> this is a happy one, that this area is literally an open-air prison. And we're talking about the Jianjing region. And the Chinese government does not care about its citizens. We also have to remember that this is the region that has a lot of the Uyghurs. It is highly Muslim, right? This is the population where we have seen what some people would call forced sterilization and ethnic genocide. Of course, the Chinese don't like to talk about that. They don't like to talk about much. Interestingly, though, actually, Turkey is kind of calling China out here. Turkey has a large Turkic Uyghur population as well. There's a lot of immigrants there. There's a lot of crossover between the countries in terms of the Uyghur population. And Turkey's government has called on China to release details on this fire and why it occurred. If I was the Chinese, I would also not like that, to know that other countries want answers because you don't want to give answers, right? You cover this stuff up. You keep it quiet. You keep it hush. And that's a problem as well. Also, the UK and American officials have mentioned similar concerns. Anyways, so moving on. This fire was just one example of an event that's led to outrage. There's a lot. The country is just, things are just not looking good for the CCP right now, though I'm sure they will be in the long run. That's a whole other conversation. So going back to that BBC article I've been referencing, it also discusses how another example of China's difficulties in dealing with COVID are that there's been, well, violent protests that broke out last week at one of the world's biggest iPhone factories, and it's in Zhengzhou. And... It's actually, no, sorry, the biggest iPhone factory in, this, in, the, in the world. And it's run by the ta Taiwanese firm Foxconn, which remember we have some facilities here, a lot of co collaboration between Apple and the United States as well. Um, it's the main subcontractor and the plan assembles more iPhones than anywhere else in the country and in the world. 
And the article just has videos showing hundreds of workers marching with some, you know, confronted by police and riot shields and hazmat suits. Some are actually smashing surveillance cameras, windows with sticks. It's a nightmare. And this is interesting kind of on a geopolitical level because the U.S. and Apple do rely heavily on this plant. And these lockdowns are basically impacting people outside of the country, outside of the border. Apple's going to have some serious concerns. I mean, we have to remember that one of the reasons why the U.S. still is still close to China is because they make a lot of our shit, <laughs> just to put it simply. And if I guess if China is struggling to keep doing this due to rolling lockdowns and social unrest, it might cause Western countries, mainly the U.S. and the U.K., to maybe reconsider why we have these relationships. And I bet that scares the living hell out of President Xi. Anyways, I could go into specifics, but these have been going around the country, and I'll spare you guys because I don't have the video accessibility for this episode, but there's a lot of protests going on, and these protests are happening in every part of China, and the government is struggling to quell them, not because they're unable to use force. They're good at doing that. But it's hard to respond because you don't really know how to in this modern age with social media and foreign influence and geopolitical implications. It gets very difficult. And I think this is an interesting situation for the Chinese government and Xi specifically because he has just become leader for life, right? He's very influential and driven about China's future. And this is really making his time difficult, right? Like a lot of these student protests and a lot of these protesters in general are calling for him to resign. And that's a problem when you've just become ruler for life and you want a just control of power in the country. And what, what I really think, kind of my take here, is that I think this will be really telling about what type of leader Xi is and how he's going to be able to respond to this. Will he use force? Will they use digital totalitarianism and shut it down that way? Will they go back to old school Tiananmen Square type of situations? It's difficult. It's difficult because he is focused on maintaining authority. So how do you do that? And it could be bad. <laughs> it, could be, it could be really bad. And like I said earlier, the social contract between the people and the government is broken. And... That's always been how the CCP's maintained power, I think. Of course they still will. I don't see there being some sort of revolution here. But will it be a Tiananmen Square type of thing? Will it be quiet autocracy? The White House has said, <laughs> I think it's interesting, that, or, you know, Speaker Kirby for the State Department and the National Security Council and Biden has said that the Chinese citizens and the Chinese protesters have a right to do so. And in theory, yes, I agree. I agree completely. I'm a free speech absolutist almost. But in reality, I, I don't think that's true at all. I don't think the Chinese do have a right to protest, not in China. And so this is an inter interesting one too, when you have the United States, they having a, say they have a right to protest. Like, what are we going to do about what they just said there? Because you can say that, of course, it sounds good, but the Chinese government doesn't think that's the case. And so are we willing to actually speak out against that and be strong and actually say, no, hell no, you guys need to let them protest because you can make those statements, but that's going to anger China and it's going to embolden the protests. And, and unless we're willing to put the money where, where our mouth is, it's troubling. It's very troubling. And 
you know, um, are, there inter- are there any international ramifications to this? Of course, I already talked about the economic issues or the alliance-based issues. But the BBC also says that they're pretty, pretty concerned here because they're concerned about the treatment of one of the organization's journalists who apparently was beaten and arrested by police while covering the protests. So then what happens when you have foreign nationals being part of this? Of course, international law is complicated. And if you technically commit a country's crime, you can be held, as we've seen definitely with Brittany Grimer, who, by the way, I feel awful for. But it gets really complicated here. And it just sounds like things are coming to a head in a lot of ways. And like I said, I don't think a revolution is coming here. I think China has too much of control. And I don't think there's a strong enough opposition. Most of the opposition is abroad or the, the opposition that could do something, or they're in Taiwan. But it, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, troubling. We're going to have to keep an eye on it because I do think there's going to be a lot of geopolitical and economic ramifications, to, to say the least. Anyways, uh, finally, before we're out of here, let's get back to World Cup news, a little bit of geopolitics again with the World Cup. So tomorrow, Tuesday, big game. Big game here between the U.S. and Iran. Both need to win. Whoever wins this goes on to the elimination rounds. Whoever doesn't goes home. Hasta la vista, baby. Nos vemos hasta ahora. Get the hell out. Whatever you want to say. And the U.S. team's been interesting. They can't seem to win. Tying is kind of their thing, which I guess is better than losing, but this Iran team seems motivated. They, they really do. And, you know, they had that heartwarming thing where they wouldn't go along with the national anthem in the first game against England. The crowd also was booing the national anthem. I thought that was very strong. I thought that was good to see. That's some true bravery because these guys have to go home. And getting into that, like, what happens if the Iranian team goes home, like, earlier, right? Like, the big question is, is it better for them to play longer, to stay in the games, to bring recognition to the country's problems, and bring a conversation about what is happening? Like, they are truly doing publicity for the plight You know, I've watched people in the stands doing statements, a lot of women there doing statements. I'm surprised there's not been more upheaval or unrest, but it's interesting to see. And so the question is, like, of course I'm cheering for the U.S. to win tomorrow. Though, to be honest, I'm more of a Spain fan in terms of the games just because I think the team's better and has more chance and I know the players better. I don't watch a lot of U.S. soccer, so I kind of cheer for Spain as well. But the question is, is, like, if the Iran team stays, I think they could do a really – good service of bringing recognition, attention, and legitimacy to their movement. Also, though, the scary thing is, is what if they lose tomorrow? This is a country that didn't go along with their national anthem, supported protest, and really was brave. But what if they go home? What happens to them? I would assume some of them go to jail. I would, I would assume some of them get locked up. Because the regime, I'm sure, does not like what they're seeing. And could this motivate them tomorrow to beat the U.S.? I think so. I don't know if they beat the U.S., but part of me thinks they could. Just because there's a motivation that is bigger than sports. It's that they want to make this point. And I'm curious, though. I really do think they could beat the U.S. tomorrow because the U.S. doesn't have that motivation. They don't have that drive. And I do think what the team is doing is good. It is good. Now, moving on, it's interesting because today <laughs> Iran called basically for the U.S. I, it's unclear to me, but I think it's not the team. It was the Iranian government called for the U.S. to be kicked out of the World Cup because I guess on social media, <laughs> which is never a place to take seriously, but I guess on social media, 
the Federation of Soccer, the U.S. Federation of, the so- of Soccer, had temporarily displayed Iran's national flag on its Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts without the emblem of, of the Islamic flag. Let's remember, like, the flag has the three stripes, and in the middle is the Islamic Republic emblem. So I guess on social media, for temporarily, they posted it without that. And, of course, it was a symbol of not hating Iran, but being against the, in my opinion, totalitarian, awful regime that runs Iran. And, you know, they get a lot of shit for that. And, of course, the Iranians are fragile. The, the Iranian government's fragile ego basically was like, yeah, we want to ban you from the World Cup because free speech is not a thing here. And uh, according to CNN, it says in quotes here, a now-deleted graphic of the Group B standings posted on Saturday displayed the Iranian flag only bearing its green, white, and red colors without the emblem. And, you know, this is good. I think call out the regime. Call them out. And, of course, because no one seems to have as much bravery as the Iranian players, the U.S. men's national team has, of course, been wimps. They've been the P-word that I'm not going to use on the air. But they've done it. They've basically kind of played, eh. It's kind of like the same way Trump, you know, said he didn't know if he was meeting with an anti-Semite in Mar-a-Lago. Oh, I didn't know Nick Fuentes. Well, head coach Bert Berhalter said the team had no idea what U.S. soccer put out but did apologize for it. Don't apologize. Don't apologize. This is a regime that won't even let women go outside without basically covering their whole body, and one gal's never been seen again since she refused that. It's just a shame when, like, the Iranian soccer team is willing to not even stand at their national anthem and knows that when they go home they could face death or jail, and the U.S. men's coach and several players can't even just speak up against that, and they just play whataboutism and denialism. It's a shame. And like I said, tomorrow's game is going to be interesting because I think the longer Iran plays in this World Cup, the more their message is going to stick and it's going to mean something, especially when these games are in a broken country like Qatar, Qatar, whatever you want to say. So anyways, I'm like shame on the U.S. team and shame on Coach Greg Berhalter for the Federation doing something good and showing the flag without the Islamic symbol on it, but then also acting a fool. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, whatever else is out there. I don't care anymore, but you know where it is. So anyways, have a great rest of your day. Hopefully the U.S. wins tomorrow. And uh, I'll be back. I'll be back. We're going to talk Herschel Walker. We're going to talk the special probe into Trump. We're going to talk climate change. We're going to do updates on the COVID protests in China. All that jazz. So take care. Peace. Auf Wiedersehen.